speaks to mind to me is that Paul told us about who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God and made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on those in heaven and earth and those on this earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me read verse 8. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the night. Thank you that we have this opportunity. doesn't have to say a word. 
it's the same thing. It's the same thing when Thomas said, told the other disciples, "I won't believe him. I won't believe unless I take my fingers and put them where the nail scars are." The one they told him that Jesus was resurrected. I won't believe it unless I can put my fingers where the nail scars are, or where the where the spear was. That's how I will believe. That's the only way. And all Jesus did was walk in, stretch his hands out, and all Thomas could do was say, "What can you say?" He said, "My Lord and Savior." You see, that's the same thing. The, the, he's the only. He is the only imperfect thing in heaven. Think about that. Because when we go there, we're going to be perfect, immortal. Uh, un, you know, we're immortal. Also, is going to be uh, whether we don't sin anymore, incorruptible. All those. Things. The only imperfect thing will be in heaven are the stars on Jesus' hands. And so, are those stars in that place where He sits at the right hand of God, He doesn't say a word. This His presence there means that you and I are forgiven. This His presence there is there, and what He did on the cross is unbelievable. So in verse 8, before us is a picture of our Lord at the lowest point in that curve that builds in Christ's death. For us, the cross is a symbol of our belief in what Christ accomplished. There were two symbols for the Christians at the early church. First, the first was actually was not the sign of the fish, as you say it was. It was actually a shepherd with a lamb with a lamb under on his uh, back carrying his basket. Remember in Luke 15, Jesus said that about the man who, who had a hundred sheep and lost one on the land and went and found it and then carried it back and came back to Lord. That was the first symbol of the church. Then the symbol changed to the fish. And what, that, what was that symbol was because they were in hiding and had to do things like this to show where the, the next meeting was going to be or where they were going to meet or gather together. So for us, the cross is symbol of our belief in what Jesus accomplished. The cross in Jesus' day was seen as being a symbol of obscene ugliness. It was, when I read Psalm 22, hundreds of years before, no way that anybody ever thought of the crucifixion. It was when the Romans came along that crucifixion was thought of. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. talk about, we always see that eel and we see those three crosses on it. I really wonder about that, whether that's really true. We, we, when we were in Israel, we went to the, the, uh, went to the where the tomb was in Jesus' day. There's two places in Israel, they think, possibly the cathedral. The one we went to, they feel like it's there. And there's sort of caves up there, and it looks like it's got eyes locked, and I, eyes here, eyes in a mouth. And, and that, that appears to be, that's why it was called Golgotha, and it was called the place of the skull. And so we think that's where Jesus died. But here's the thing. The Romans, when they crucified somebody, they crucified them near the road where you could see what was happening. And the agony and the anguish of this, I mean, you had to be pretty, you had to be pretty cruel in order to crucify somebody. Because if you did, you knew that they, they were going to, what would happen to them in that as they hung there, Eventually, their legs would give out and they would start to sink. But when they would sink, all of a sudden, they had to push up because they couldn't breathe. So eventually, they 
some reason the cross is, is so significant to many people who don't believe in it, yet they want to tear them all down. No, they not only want to tear down statues, they want to tear down any semblance that would remind you of who Christ is. And they want to tear it down. And why will they tear it down? It's because of the very reason that there's even preachers who will take down the crosses in their church because they don't want to offend anybody. Everything in this world that is sinful and against God, that's what it stands for. Make you wonder if there's not many who sit in the pews that are deluded into believing they're saved when they're really not because the cross evidently doesn't have an effect on it. But that is impossible for if the cross is offensive, it is offensive to sin and evil and demonic power. The Bible has a lot to say about those who are enemies of the cross. And listen to some of those verses. It tells to the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3.18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. The enemies of that cross. He tells us also, uh, it, 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 he also tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that reason is, is, is their enemies of the cross, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but they are also being saved into the power of God.
be he would be accursed. That's what it says. It says in, in Galatians three thirteen, Christ has redeemed us from the curse law, having become a curse for us. For he's written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." He knew that was going to happen. The cross, the Bible says in First Peter two twenty four, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes were healed. Also says in Colossians one twenty, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of Christ. How important the cross of Jesus Christ is. Many say that our sins were nailed to the cross. Is that why was nailed to the cross? But listen to what it says. And he's saying he's talking about this. Our sins are nailed to the cross. But listen to what it says over in Colossians. It says this, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What did Jesus nail to the cross? It was not our sins that He nailed to the cross. The blood of Christ washed us clean. We're clear, we're, 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 we're clear that way. But it was, it was of the law that He nailed to the cross. See, you and I had this huge bill. There's no way in the world that we could ever pay. And, and there's no way, and, and we had an indebtedness, a debt, you know, that we owed so much. That the wages of sin, the wages of sin that we owed uh, led to death and we couldn't pay it. What did Jesus do? Jesus came and went to the cross and as a result of that, He nailed the law. He nailed it to the cross. What does that mean to us? Because the Bible says, where there is no law, there is no what? anyone pass the Lord Jesus Christ by. When I read something like John 19, 17, it says he went out bearing his cross, but that's not true. Jesus did not go out bearing his cross. He was bearing my cross. He was bearing your cross. But it's not his cross that he was bearing. It was our cross that he was bearing. And if you and I want to understand Christianity, then we must go to the Bible to understand what people say. Well, I want to know what God's will is. Well, here's God's will right here. This is God's will. So if I want to understand what what Christianity actually teaches, then I must go to the Bible for understanding of salvation. And and and, and, if, and if I want to understand the Bible, then I've got to turn to the cross. Because you cannot take the cross out of the middle of the Bible without understanding what Christ has done for you. And I don't understand why preachers who say they believe in what Christ has done can take the cross now. You know, this is where we came up with a seeker-friendly type of approach. I don't think my message is more of a very seeker-friendly. A 
belief system must be judged by its founder. You know, when you start putting all the religions, you start laying them up, and you start, and people say, well, now, let me tell you something. You Christians have got some things to answer. Because, you know, you go back, and they always want to go back to the Crusades. They want to go back to the Crusades, and they want to say, look what you did in the Crusades. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, we've got to really own up to some things. We've got to be willing to say, yep, we recognize that we screwed up back there in the Crusades. We actually did. We did some things, and there, there's been preachers, and there's been others that have done things that they should have never done. It was wrong, and it hurt the church, and hurt what, uh, things happening, and as a result of that, and caused their testimony to go down, and, and other people not want to come to Christ. So we got in monitor. But let me tell you something. We can't hold a candle to what the atheists just did. Yeah, there's some people dying in the crusades because of it. But the truth of the matter is that when you go back and you figure out what Hitler did, what what uh, Holocaust did, what you what Stalin did, you're looking at three hundred and eighteen thousand people, or excuse me, million people that died. So don't let us pay that. But here's the other side of it. When I look at Mohammed, Mohammed killed I don't know how many people. He was in a cave when he supposed to have had this vision of what God was telling him to do. And his wife had to tell him what the vision was so he could even get doing that. But he killed I don't know how many people. When you look at what Buddhists, Buddhists have done and, and the number of people they've killed and everything else, but you know, you say, well, wait a minute, now what about Christianity? Okay, then we're, what, what I'm saying is you look at the leaders. When you get ready to judge a religion, you go back and you look at what was the intent and you look at the leaders. Let's go back and look at who Jesus was. Jesus never hurt anybody. Jesus, in fact, he never he never caused a problem for anyone. All he ever did was come into this world willing to die for you. That's Christianity. That's what it was meant. That's what it was always intended to be. And so when I read that, then I, when I read, and, and the whole point of Christianity then, when, when I read it, two-fifths of the book of Matthew's gospel is concerned with the final week of Jerusalem when Jesus died. Uh, um, Mark's gospel, three-fifths of Mark's gospel, the last week of Jerusalem. One-third of Luke's gospel is that way. And one-half of John's gospel deals with the last week when Jesus was crucified. You have to realize that from the first day Jesus was born, the cross overshadowed the life of Jesus. Even His name Look forward to an act of saving. When the angels announced his birth to Joseph in Matthew 1.21, they said, And she shall bring forth her son, and ye shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When, I, when Jesus talked of the suffering yet to come, he said this over in Mark both 8.31 and 9.31, he said, I begin to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, he says in 9.31, he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he's killed, he will rise the third day. See, the disciples didn't get it. They were shocked in that upper room that night when he told them, and, and just gloom, gloom, gloom just fell over that room. When he told them he had to go, they finally started getting it, but they really didn't get it until he actually was crucified. And yet he told them over and over and over again, I need to go to hell. I wonder if that same thing's not happening today. God is speaking to us, and he's telling us, I'm getting ready to come. We don't hear what he's trying to say to us. We don't 
wonder this. Here's what I wonder. And, and I, you know, I've always quoted when Paul says over in the book of Corinthians that he was he was caught up to the third heaven. And I've always said when people say, okay, what does that mean by three heavens? Well, and I've always quoted it this way. I've quoted it as saying, okay, we have this earth right here, and then we have and then we have our atmosphere, and then we have you know we have our atmosphere, and then we got outer space, our earth and our atmosphere, then outer space, and then we have a place called heaven. Jesus said it was a place. I thought it was a bad place. He said it's a place.
confess he's never forgiven the unabridged gulf that exists between Christ's suffering and human suffering. I know many of you have been through a lot of suffering. I've met people that have gone through unbelievable suffering. But let me just say this to you. Their suffering or your suffering, whatever, cannot compare to the suffering that our Lord went through. There's a gulf between them. The unabridged gulf that exists between Christ's suffering and our suffering. Christ's suffering was he suffered innocently. When we suffer, we suffer by ourselves and for ourselves. Well, 1 Peter 2.21 says, But Christ's suffering was for you and I. He suffered because of you and I, not for Himself, for you and I. And verse 24 even says that He bore our sins in His own body. In Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, the second thing I get is that Christ is our sin bearer. In Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, the priests were instructed to take two goats. One goat they sacrificed as a sin offering, and the other, the priest would lay his hand on the goat, the symbol of transferring the sin of his people to the goat, and they then would take the goat and turn it loose into the wilderness. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're accepting Him as our sin bearer, and we're transferring our sins to Christ. Like that priest laid his hands on that goat, and all the sins of the people went to that goat, and then they turned that goat loose in the in the wilderness. That's the same thing. When we come to Christ, and we surrender our life to Him, our sins are transferred to Jesus Christ, and we bore them on the cross. That's what it means. So when we accept Christ as that day, in, in Leviticus 16, verse 21 and 22, it says, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goats and pass over it, and of the inadequacies of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, it shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And verse 22 says, And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquity to an inhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So we see this foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came to heal. No, no mystery. He came and removed our sins, bearing them on his shoulders. Sin separates men from God, but Jesus removed the sin. Second Corinthians five twenty one. You all know that verse. I don't need to have that up there. Sin is the enemy of sin. And sin separates us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you know something? Sin can only be sin. My, when I go back over and I look at my life and all the lousy things that I've done in my life, when I look at Jesus on the cross, I see my sin that says, I'm done with you. Because Jesus paid it all. One of the things I think that we've got to understand, though, is that what we've done with the message of Jesus Christ, rather than Him letting teaching the, the Word of people understand that's what He came. He came to bear your sin. We've made a social gospel out of it. That's what we've done. I, you know, I, uh, there's a third reason. And so, let me, before I get into that, let me just ask this question. Are your sins upon Him? Have you taken your sins and laid them on Jesus? Have you taken away? He wants to be your sin bearer, but we do. So the Christ, 
That's what we don't understand. To get close to Him because He's so pure and so holy. Why did He turn His back on Jesus on the cross? Because His eyes are so holy, He cannot bear to even look upon sin. What the Bible says. So we need to understand the significance of those things. As to what would happen in that last in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in that room. Now, there were three things that were placed in that Ark. We all know what those are. What were the three things in the Ark of the Covenant? Yes, you had what? Come on. Ten Commandments. What else? Aaron's rod that budded. And what? And a, a jar of man. All three things. Now, let me ask you this. Why were they put there? Most of you have artifacts. I didn't know that. Because what did God do with all three of them? He put it in the Ark and He covered them. He covered them in what? With the mercy. James even says that if any man try to keep the whole law, yet they break it one point, they're guilty of the whole law. So he puts the law in there, which represents our faith. We couldn't keep the law. It, Aaron's rod was a priesthood. We, we defile the priesthood. So we put it in there. And what about, what about uh, the, not only that, but what about the jar of manna? That he wanted to be our sustenance. He wanted to be our, the, the one that we depended upon. He didn't do that either. So Jesus, God the Father, shows Himself as a God of mercy, grace, and love, and Jesus satisfies God's judgment. Now, let me just let me go on another part. You say, Lee, why is this so important? Because what the church is looking at, and many times they're looking at a social gospel. What do you mean? They're saying, okay, our go- the role of the church is we need to feed people, we need to clothe people, we need to uh, pay the rent, we need when they got gas bills and this kind of thing. We ought to do those things. Let me tell you something. All those things are good. The church does that. But James says this. James says, if a man comes to you and he's poor and he's in need, but you don't look at him and say, well, we'll pray for you in some way. No, you try to meet that need if it's possible to meet that need. It's interesting to me that Jesus told us one time that when you're talking about trying, somebody comes to you and wants you to help them to do something, Jesus one time said this. He said, he said simply, if a man has two sons. In other words, he doesn't want you to take your own family and sacrifice your family to take care of the needs of other people. Your family will be sacrificed. Your family sacrifices while this other family enjoys the meal while they're eating the meal they have. He doesn't want you to do that. But this is exactly why we need to learn how to give. social gospel is important. I, I want to feed people, but let me tell you something. If that is our goal, then we're going to miss everything that Jesus had. The only reason we're feeding people is an opportunity and a chance. Yes, we, want, we don't want them to starve to death, but it's an opportunity and a chance to talk to them about Jesus. The reason we clothe them is so that we can talk to them about Jesus. The reason we pay their bills is so that we can talk to them about Jesus. The reason we try to give them transportation, whatever, is so we can talk to them about Jesus. 
That's the goal of the church. Because why? The most important thing, the Bible says this, what shall a man gain if he gains the whole world?
looked in that cup in and, and John 17, and he said, Oh, Father, to the cross. 